finding great people to work with in the beginning, honest people, that's been a huge key to our success. What's up, everybody? My name's Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. What's going on, STR Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, E? My brother. Good to see you. I love when we do just double shows. I just get in, in the mood. I've had my like two or three espressos. So if I start jittering a little bit, it's all normal. But life is good, man. You know, I was talking to Tasha about this a couple of days ago. You know what's really funny? If you have a day that you're like, I don't, I can't, I'm having a hard time feeling grateful today. You know how rich you had to be 200 years ago to listen to music at home, right? And I love music, right? I'm a junkie. Like I listen, like the first thing I do when I wake up, I'm like, Alexa, play this, right? And I'm like constantly, right? And I'm like constantly music everywhere I go, listen to music all the time. If I walk around Home Depot, I have my AirPods and I'm always listening to music, right? You know how rich you had to be 200 years ago to have music playing at your house at any given point? I don't, I'm, dude, I don't even know. Like, right? That's what I mean. Like, it's, yeah. I just assume that you had to be like some kind of king or some kind of something to have a guy with like a, a cello and a violin playing in your living room, right? And they probably knew that like two or three songs that they knew. Yeah. Like I listen to all types of things. I listen to Italian music. I listen to French music. Wu-Tang sometimes, you know? <laughs> Throw a little Wu-Tang in there, why like, not? And it varies, right? And I'm like, I don't know. So just like the year is ending and I think, you know, I mean, it's important. Like we just passed Thanksgiving, which is one of my all-time favorite holidays, mostly for that, right? Like just to be grateful and there is so much to be grateful for. And I think sometimes as we're grinding, as you're building, you get wrapped up in the like, there's so much shit going on. So yeah, just a reminder, you know, that everything you have, it's, it's good. And it's literally like one of the, the best times to just be. Yeah, I find like, I reflect on like, again, like not forgetting why I started this whole thing, right? To spend yeah. more time with the family and be grateful and all that stuff. And yeah. uh, it's easy to get sucked into the daily minutia of like growth and like all these good things. But it's like, dude, yeah. I would have killed to be in this position five years ago when I was sitting at a desk, like, you know, so. You know I mean, like keeping perspective and just like reminding yourself to stay grateful. And sometimes, you know, like I have in my journal, like three things that you're grateful for. And sometimes maybe I'm the only one, but sometimes I'm like, I'm having a hard time. You know what I mean? I'm like, why? So yeah. much, right? Like this light right here, this, yeah. this, this computer, like when I came from Italy, like 12 years ago, like the only way to keep in touch with friends was emails. Like you didn't have Facebook, you didn't have messages, right? So there's so much to be grateful for. So yeah. I love it, dude. I love it. Well, I'm, uh, I'm excited for today's show too, because we've got a, a badass couple with us today. We've got Michael. Yeah. Michael and Elizabeth Chang. They are the co-founders of Trust B&B Vacation Rentals. They are based in New York and they own and operate a portfolio of short-term rentals in Philly and in the Smoky Mountains. And prior to building their own business, uh, Michael was a New York City-based investment banker. He spent over a decade advising leading technology companies, private equity firms, family offices, venture capitalists, no big deal, deep pockets. And uh, he's advised and executed over $40 billion in transaction value. And then Elizabeth 
who's we all know is the the brains of the operation here from the design standpoint she comes Obviously. from the the luxury world you know working at huge brands like tiffany's and a whole bunch of amazing spots like that so without further ado guys welcome to the show excited to have you here Thanks. Hi, thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, guys. We appreciate yeah, absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, I, I know I gave like the Cliff Notes version, but I always like to to kind of go back and just ask like, how did you guys get into this? Right. Neither one of you came from a real estate background. So it was like, what what triggered you to get into short-term rentals? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I have to give, I'll, I'll turn the floor over to Liz. It was her idea to start this business in 2017. We had, we had just got married and we we're figuring out, we we're both working but you know, had an idea, had an ideal state of how we wanted to live our lives. Um, and she always had a passion about real estate, but I'll let you kind of uh, tell the story of how we got started. Yeah, sure, of course. Um, and thanks for the great intro. Yeah, so just um, in summary, so I came from a luxury good background, spent about eight years in fashion and luxury good industry, primarily in sales and merchandising, helping brands to opening new stores and expansion. Um, so that it's like a high level of the background, but in 17, that's when I always wanted to have the side hustle, build a side income. And then the idea of real estate and building long-term wealth has always, you know, been a, a goal for me. So heard about Airbnb in 2017 through just through reading. And then I was like, oh, what is this? It sounds interesting. And then um, our family actually had a vacancy at that time in one of the multi multi-family units. So I approached him and say, oh, can I rent this unit? And then uh, try yeah. Airbnb. And so what you say, what you said you approached him is you approached her dad. Yeah, her dad owned the building and it was like, we had a vacancy. Like, oh, why don't we try this three bedroom, two bath that will it work as an Airbnb? And, you know, we furnished it and Two months later, we're like, wow, okay, we need to quit our jobs because this is yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, so we kind of like pivot and focus yeah. our energy there. That's awesome. So, Wait, did you what? guys quit like right away? Like you were like, like, oh, like yeah, two months in, that we're out. Uh, no, 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 oh, no. Yeah, uh, I love it. Like burn the bridge. No, <laughs> no, no. I still need to get my. I still need to collect my bonus. <laughs> um, no, we. So we started. Um, so we went live. Uh, that year we, we we had like four in our first year so you know we're still we're both still working and you know obviously kind of hard to just kind of pull the record and leave but you know we liz left uh in late late 17 or late eight, 17 late 17 and then she started focusing yeah. on on building the business and i left in uh early sorry i left in early 2020 um i had built something yeah so that yeah. so that's when we both like fully immersed in the airbnb world Love it. Amazing. So what does that conversation with your dad look like? We had another guest, Natalie, on here, and, and she was talking about how when she launched, she launched with her parents' unit, right? So what does that conversation look like? Because again, like you have different different kind of parents. I know like my parents have been very blessed and super supportive. Some people don't have parents like that. So when they come up to you, you're like, what are you going to do with my place? You're like, we're going to rent it and then rent it to people we don't know online and they're gonna come and like you know and if there might like you know like i know like my grandma thinks that all evil comes from the internet like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm like i'm gonna rent your house on the internet should be like you're gonna let who in my house so like what did that look like also because you guys had just got married both had jobs both had good jobs right so then like why do you want to side thing? just do your job or what did that yeah. look like for you guys yeah so i think the conversation was actually when much better than I thought, um, but just a little background. We came from a very conservative, um, you know, Asian culture family. 
So naturally, their first reaction is always like, oh, what is that? Never heard of this. Uh, what if people just ruin my place? Because the last tenant, long-term tenant actually that left, left our lived there for eight years. And then they left our place in a very undesirable state. So he was traumatized by that already. But for me to propose this idea, I kind of give him a plan. So this is what I'm going to do. I will take great care of it. I will pay you rent on time. Just give me a chance. And that actually worked out really well because the, the places, as we know, short-term rental need to be turned all the time and actually keep the place in the pristine state all the time. So that kind of just like kick off pretty well the conversation with my dad, given the conservative background. That's awesome. And so that was your very first unit. So by the end of 2017, when you, Liz, were able to retire technically from your job. <laughs> <laughs> A little unit, far. Four units or five? Four. four. I would say four, four. Four. And were they all arbitrage? Yes. Nice. Okay. And so what happened? So that was 2017. COVID happened and everything else. So walk us through how you guys got to where you are now. And then how did you get to the Smokies? In the Smokies, right? You guys are in the Smokies. Yeah, we're in the Smokies too. Yeah. So, you know, we, um, as after Liz retired, I, I retired from her, a real job and, and then got her now 24 seven, you know, self-employment job. Yeah. We grew to about 40 units in New York City and uh, New York and New Jersey. They're kind of right next to each other. And COVID hit, unfortunately, you know, obviously, unfortunately, travel shut down. We had to re we had to reposition those units. Some we gave back to the landlords and then, you know, rent a long term. Um, and some we did kind of midterm rentals. But we had a presence in Philadelphia. We only had a few units there. We had three there at the time. And those recovered, excuse me, we had five there at the time. And those recovered really quickly. And we're like, oh, wow, okay, so there's an opportunity here in Philadelphia. So that's where we, you know, doubled down in early 2020. And now we have... 20 units there were negotiations for 14 more and we were able to take that. And obviously there was like a really big travel boom as we all know in COVID and we wanted to reinvest that money that we were earning from the New York property from before the New York properties and the Philadelphia properties into assets that we actually own and Smokies. I'll, I'll turn it over to Liz actually. Uh, she's the one that found the Smoky Mountains market through her research. And there we just like, okay, this is great. We bought one. We're like, wow, like these are insane returns and we're getting capital appreciation and we're getting the tax deductions. So we need to double down here. Um, and so we bought six over the last, we bought about $7 million of real estate, bought six properties over the last uh, two and a half years. Wow. I love it. Love yeah. it. You guys have been busy. I love that. Like, <laughs> oh, we, I know, we, oh, and we had a kid and she's turning oh. a, a one year old tomorrow too. So there's yeah. that. Yeah, why not? Because you know, why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> what else are you guys supposed to do? I love it's that. Amazing. And so, one of the things I want to kind of dive into, and we've talked about this with other guests, but I think that a lot of people struggle with the idea of like investing remotely, right, in other destinations, right? And it's like, oh, I'm, I live in New York, so I got to find something in like upstate or Long Island or Jersey or somewhere to buy instead of like, oh, well. Why don't I just invest in the Smokies or wherever, right? So, like, how did that conversation go? And kind of like, how are how are you guys handling that now? Like, two different markets. Yeah, and we had that. So, you know, we like others started, you know, literally in our backyard, right? We started at her, you know, one of her dad's properties here in New York City. But once we learned how to, once we realized that, well, we were working, so we couldn't actually always be there. And 
I always had the mindset that if we're going to build this business, build this as a business, like we can't do everything, right? We have to be able to build systems and processes and trust others that will, that trust others, like trust the housekeeper, the, the runners, the, the handyman, they will actually kind of do the work without us actually being physically present. And I think we always kind of built that company, built the company on that mindset so that when we were in Philadelphia and, you know, obviously it's like an hour and a half away drive, we could be there, but in three years, we probably made one emergency trip down there. And obviously Tennessee is 10 hours away, but I think having that mindset very early on that this is a business that we're building, it needs to have processes. We're not going to be working in the business. We're going to be working on the business. That was, you know, that mental, you know, framework that we had and all the decisions kind of drove through that framework. Love so what, is the, what does the team look like? So are you guys doing, doing the back of the house and you have your mentor, you have cleaners, runners, so walk us, yeah. through, walk us through what your roster looks like. Oh, I, uh, this this is probably like my favorite topic. Uh, I'm okay. really, really, yeah. I'm like it's, really, it's really so funny. I'm, if you guys watch this on YouTube, you can see how excited he got the moment I asked the question. Like, look at his smile. Look how excited he is. No, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm like, I'm super proud of our team. Like, we yeah. built a really oh, amazing, amazing team, and yeah. and we've we've really, we kind of built it. So in in Philadelphia, we have a, a couple. They they're like our day ones. Like we start, like we kind of start together there. Um, they're, they were a boyfriend, girlfriend. Now they're married. They basically built a cleaning business, um, with our staff. So we have cleaners in this, in Philadelphia, runners, handymen that are within the building in Tennessee. We have one woman that we work with. She basically is our property manager there. She cleans, she handles the handyman, like she does everything. So really finding great staff on the ground in the beginning. Like really invest in that in the beginning. And again, I, I, that's credit to Liz. She's the one that found David Tanisha in Tennessee. I'm uh, sorry, in, in Philadelphia. Okay. Finding great people to work with in the beginning, honest people. That's been a huge key to our success. One person the entire time. And they just grew with us. So they, they're invested in our business as well. On the back end, we have six VAs actually for a small portfolio. But again, we built the business in a way that we want to have enough, there's going to be enough margin in the business so we can support a real staff that we are not the ones doing any of the day-to-day -day work. Like we look at the reports, we look at the accounting, we focus on growth. We have, you know, three VAs that cover, you know, morning shift, night shift, weekend shift. We have a bookkeeper uh, and we have someone focused on outreach and growth. So, and we have one other kind of part-time floater. So that is our team. So six people, background, overseas, two teams on the ground uh, in Philadelphia and Tennessee that really drive everything. And then they all work together seamlessly through Discord and WhatsApp and Slack. And we monitor, we get the reports, we monitor it and we approve payments and we try to really business. That's what started. I love that. What does that guy, so you said one is outreach and growth. Who is that guy? What does he do? Like, what well, it's, do a, it, it, it's a woman actually. And Obviously, she all... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, she, all she does is she focuses on outreach to, we have, we have, um, areas and buildings that we focus on and she focuses, like we have a script and materials and, you know, she has a process that she does every day, uh, to outreach to new owners, uh, to, you know, buildings, you know, we try to buy, you know, one other thing is we bought outside of our first property, we bought everything off MLS. So everything is off market. We do not. Yeah. I mean, we'd be in a different position right now. We we're competing people with ML on MLS in 2021 because the, the, the pricing was and the competition was just really bad. 
So yeah. we source everything off market. And, and that's something that we've really learned is a key, another key driver to success is, you, you know, if you're just on MLS competing with everyone else, buying, like that is, a, you know, it's a poor competitive position to be in. Love it. So you're feeding, you're feeding that particular VA a list of leads and then they've got a script they follow to outbound dial. And I'm assuming it's like distressed sellers and all, all the different categories that they can go through that you summon. Uh, it's not, the, it's actually not distressed sellers. It's actually sellers that are like absentee sellers. Yeah. Um, they're mostly, you know, older and they've owned for a while. They have a lot of equity value in there. And, but you know, their cash on cash is pretty low because they don't know how to operate it like we do. So we, yeah. uh, you know, we come in with that management background that we've sharpened in our urban market to bring that, being able to export that model into the Smokies, right? Where we have more, more modern technology, our revenue management is, I think, you know, above class. Um, we have our own revenue manager in-house as well, since we have enough scale now. So, you know, we just developed these systems where I think, you know, we operate at a higher, you know, we operate at a higher level, you know, higher, higher revenue, higher margins so that we can support um, and we can generate more cash flow from these properties and support the kind of business that we want to build. Love that. And some, something to kind of add on that is like the, the philosophy when we're operating and acquire properties, we always try to focus on quality over quantity. I think that's really important for us. Um, it kind of, we look at our lifestyle and then look at what's our goal as a married couple with kids. And then really... Kids? Really? Surprise? <laughs> Just one, sorry. Oh, Kid. I was like, oh, what? Like, what? <laughs> As the first on show. I feel oh, so special yeah. that that announcement came oh on our platform. <laughs> Whoa. Well, okay. <laughs> and then really kind of like frame our portfolio growth around that goal. So I think quality over quantity for us is really critical key for our expansion. Yeah, well, like we don't we won't take units that are you know, we get offered units all the time, but if they don't hit a certain threshold for us, like we're not gonna take them. Like we're not gonna take small units that are like smart work. It just doesn't fit the 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 frameworks that we have on how we want to grow our business no and i think that's that's everything with you guys and i think that's part of the reason why you guys have been able to be so explosive in your growth it's one you can clearly tell that you guys have had a lot of conversations about what you're creating and two is really having a dialed in system because again like i don't have six vas right but then again i have a lot more hands-on time i know mike is more in your guys's kind of world with the six probably more vas now and it's a different business, but it's a feasible business as long as you have a clear idea. And that's where quantity really comes in, right? Because you can have a ton of properties that don't make you money. And then that's hard for you to sustain a whole enterprise worth of people versus you guys have been super, um, super purposeful. You know what I mean? With like, this is what we want. This is the life we want for the kid, soon to be kids, right? <laughs> we'll see how that's going to grow, right? But we need all these people because we don't, we don't want to work like this. We want to have time for each other and time to grow and time to be in our, in our power. And that's so evident and such a beautiful thing to see in a, in a, in couple and then uh, business partners in a way that like you've created a business that you both get to not anything falls too much on one person. Or at least that's what it seems like coming across. It's like a team that decides together that has support around them and really is able to grow. Could I ask a clarifying question for the, for the VAs that do in the outreach for the call business development, is yep. that primarily for you guys to purchase or is that also for arbitrage or co-hosts or are you, is there a certain thing that you guys are focusing on now? Uh, right now we're focused more on arbitrage that she was, they were focused on buying before, but given the market environment, 
And given that we've already bought, like, we, so the, just to backtrack a little bit, the, our strategy is really focused on, our strategy is focused on maximizing after tax free cash flow. So people talk about revenue and doors. That's all great. What we care about is how much cash do we get to keep at the end of the year in, on April 16th? How much money do I have? How much do I, before I, be, you know, after the IRS takes their cut, right? So we, that's how we think about the business. And that's why we combine both strategies, arbitrage and buying, because I can take all that arbitrage income that we're earning, reinvest that into buying properties, bonus depreciate all of that through cost segregation. And I basically protect all my income. I deferred all that federal tax liability to when I sell the property. Oh, and I'm not paying self-employment tax because this is rental income. So not only am I not, not only am I deferring federal income tax, I'm also not paying self-employment tax. That is very powerful. That is how we maximize after-tax free cash flow. So when we forecast how we're going to grow in a year, we're like, okay, we're going to make X amount of money. We need to buy Y amount of properties in order to protect that cash flow from the federal government. So that that's how we. So I just want to give a framework of. So we really operate on frameworks, right? Like we want to do this. This is how we get there. How do we execute against that? So right now we're we we're kind of capped out, and we're gonna know what we need to buy next year. So we want to, and then we think that arbitrage market actually has more opportunity because rents are coming down, people are scared other kind of market developments. Uh, a lot of the big VC players have really pulled back because they can't get cheap funding like they're used to do when the Fed was, you know, when rates were very, very low. So we are doubling down on that strategy right now, building up that cash flow so that we can go and buy more. But ultimately the strategy is buying property that in vacation rental areas. I'm like, we would love to be in luxury, you know, Disney World too, by the way. Hey, Love uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to plant that seed. That's your next market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, but you know, Smokies is still. You know, we we, we know it. We love it. Um, but that is that is the crux of what we wanted to achieve. So I know long winded answer to your question, but I wanted to kind of lay. No, that's great. We, I just wanted to clarify that because you yeah. guys are definitely super strategic. And then yeah, I guess to, to just give some super tactical advice for people. So like I always, he talks a lot about this too, is like creating like your buy box and TJ talks, he likes to use that term. So like for you guys on like an arbitrage deal, like I always tell people if I'm going to buy some, I need at least a 25% cash on cash. If I'm putting my money into something, it's got to be at least 25%. So I'm curious for you guys, like what are some of your parameters that you use to help guide that lead flow through your VA so that when you guys are getting presented opportunities, it's within your buy box or your rent box. I mean, both. Yeah, exactly. Talk about both. Talk about your yeah. buy box and your buy buy box. Sure. Uh, arbitrage, you know, without giving too many secrets until we talk next, Mike, is uh, we have, we, we prefer larger units. So two bedrooms plus, they need to have parking in urban, they need to have parking. And we prefer urban markets that have multiple sources of demand, right? Like Philadelphia that has business, sports, government, education, medical, right? So those are markets that we that we like. So Philadelphia, obviously, we like. For there, our projected margin has to be 30%. Cash on cash has to be 30% above. Plus, the, the payback period has to be six months or less. That's really important, mm. right? You can earn a lot, but if you, you know, if you're in that, if all your capital is still tied up there after a year and a half, you actually haven't made any money. You're just earning back the money that you put in. So, yeah, that's. I think that's a point that people don't think about what, as much. What goes? Critical. What goes? Why you're still on this topic? What goes into your uh, payback period? So, what's included in that number? So, payback period is 
effectively all the cash that you lay out. Everything. Right. So, so I, from everything. Being the first and last, everything you guys put in, like any security deposit, spend, everything. Because that, that's. I mean, it's a more conservative approach because you know technically you will get that cash back, but like once it's out the door, like yeah, you know, landlords hold that money for you. On top of the end, when you guys decide to leave, if you don't. Yeah, have and who knows? They might they'll, they'll dig you for every little drywall, like you know, hole, yeah. right? So who knows, right? So every dollar goes out the door divided by mm -hmm. your projected monthly profit. Or sorry, excuse me. Let me take a step back. All the cash that goes out the door, less the dollar value of the concessions that you get divided by. So that that sum divided by the monthly projected profit. And that equals, you know, a, a number. And if that's six or greater, then I mean if it's six, if it's like six point five, we're not gonna be like, no, you know, so you gotta have to obviously evaluate each deal on its own. Um and, and on buying, so on that and, and on buying, you know, we what we like vacation rental markets that have a long history, you know, again, that prove it, you know, and proven regulatory environment, right? We don't want to be able, we don't want to buy something there that like the Poconos, for example, right now, a lot of the rule changes there. A lot of people are kind of upside down right now because things haven't worked out as well as they projected initially. Uh, but we still look at, you know, 25% is the minimum uh, return, uh, return hurdle that we look at. So just uh, if I'm doing the math right, I like that metric on the arbitrage side of like, all right, we got to basically get our money out within six months. If I'm doing yeah, the math they, right, they, technically they, that's like a 200% cash on cash return annually, right? If I'm thinking about that, like if I'm going to get all my money back within six months, that means I would double my money in 12 months, right? It's basically 200. If I'm, if I'm following you correctly. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's well, depending on how you, you're right. I mean, just depending on how you look at it. Um, I mean, you could also look at it as an infinite return, right? Since I got all my money back, I don't have any more capital tied up in there too. Yeah. We always want to, so we always look at this as like a risk game, right? Versus, yeah. you know, people that are out there like, hey, I have like 400 units, like, great, what's well, actually your profitability? And what do you actually own? If you own 400 arbitrage units. Let me ask you a quick question. What do you actually own? Do you, you own have a shitload assets? of furniture. That's you own a it. shitload of furniture that is 10 cents to 50 cents on the dollar yep. if it's not being used in arbitrage unit. Oh, and also you have a huge amount of lease liability. So, and most leases are not trans are not assignable or transferable. I mean, we don't get too much too deep. So they're not portable. So you can't sell it without their permission. And you're, you know, they have you by the, you know, they really control you because they know you have all your investments in that building. So not really a position that we want to be in just from a, and I think that comes from the business background that I have. Like yeah. you want to kind of think ahead, right? Like who has mm -hmm. the leverage? Especially when it comes to renewal time. No, so, that's big merger acquisition kind of mindset about like, okay, like what's actual like value here and what's not what's value. value. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And 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 I, I don't think people know this, but there has been no no arbitrage company has been bought since 2019. And um uh there, there's a broker that runs that does a lot of this STR stuff. Nothing there's been no arbitrage MA since 2019, and that was the stress deal in Chicago. So um, people that are thinking they're going to sell their company, arbitrage company, Stop we, have, we haven't heard it. We haven't heard it. We 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 bought distressed furniture from people that have gone belly up, but that's that's not really you know that, that's kind of liquidation sales. Um, so we ultimately we think that the value in this strategy is owning property, yeah. reinvesting that arbitrage income into stuff that you own, and then you get the equity appreciation, you get the tax benefits. Yeah, we've I mean, been saying that since the beginning, right? Of like, we did it through co-hosting, but I was like, this was a means, one, to get me out of my job faster because I didn't have enough cash to do it. And then two, once you rinse and repeat that enough and build up your cash flow, now I just buy stuff. 
right? And I don't really take too many co-hosting deals anymore unless it's like lights out. But (laughs) I'm glad I wanted to bring that up because again, like I feel like we we think very similar. So like the the idea of getting a payback within six months, I love that. So like that would be a key metric for me because I see a lot of people, they're like calculating returns and I'm like, yes, but you have a 12 month lease. If they don't renew your lease and you're not getting all your money out for like 18 months, there's a there's a margin of error there that I do not like at all. Like, no, I don't, no. I don't exactly. Like that, right. So, and and, and in our experience, like leases generally last three years. Like we, we we have a you know we talk to all of our our colleagues and you know things happen, right? Like you might have a bad guess. There might be issues with the neighbors. Like you don't know. So if you're projecting a twelve month return, basically you worked the first year for free. You've done all that work for nothing because you don't have any, well, you own furniture, like you own TVs and beds that aren't, that actually are liabilities because to get them out, it costs you money to get them out. Um, and then you have to bank on, you know, that second, third year to really make your money back. So, you know, I, I think, so, so that's why, you know, we, again, that's kind of why we built a business this way. Um, we have long releases. We, you know, there's ways to structure leases. We have options we have performance guarantees things like that that um you know honestly elongate those leases as we need to mm-hmm. but also have outs when things change that we can leave you know uh in, you know we, we pre-wire those things so that when things happen we're not stuck with a lot we're not stuck with something that we can't use in our business like that's always the mindset so yeah. this is always thinking about there's upside but also if things don't work out how do we manage that and not being in a situation where you're, you haven't thought about it and it happens. You're like, oh my God, what do I do now? Like, that's not a position that we want to be in. I think that's a function of like, one, be married to be slightly older, like see more stuff. And like, we can't just, well, we messed up. So let's start over again. Like it's a hard conversation to have with our 11, with our one-year-old daughter. Like, yeah, what's going on? Yeah. All right, we're going to sell your crib. Like, it's <laughs> <laughs> good to go. But I, I actually have so enjoyed this conversation because it's, it's, I think this has been the more real arbitrage conversation that we've ever had, right? Of like, this is a real conversation about the things that you should consider going to arbitrage. And it is the lowest hanging fruit. But it's the same thing that I tell people that want to be wholesalers. Wholesaling is a great thing to get started. It's very, very difficult. And you have to be very, very smart how to do it and really have super well dialed in systems because you make money on how good your systems are. And that not having wishful thinking, what my father calls wishful, wishful thinking, is what you're talking about, right? Like you can't just wishfully think that everything is going to go perfectly well the way you need it to. Instead, you should actually probably think worst case scenario at all times, can I get my money back in six months? What if the guys kicked me out in four months? What do I do now, right? Uh, we had somebody ask a question. Can you talk about what you mean when you say performance guarantees in the lease? What I mean by that is if we do X, like if we, if we say that we're going to, so for example, if we pay our, if all of our rent payments are paid 12 months on time, we get part of the security deposit back as a, mm-hmm. as a rent credit in month 13. That's an example. We have other examples too. Can't share all my secrets. No, that's fine. Right. That's, that's a that's good a, one. And I think that gives a good idea of like what, what. Like if you, yeah, if it, usually, yeah. And, and it works is like, if you don't, if you're, if you're just getting started, like I don't like. We think arbitrage is a very, very good strategy. Definitely. Like it is something people should definitely do. 100%. It's just not an ends to it. It's a means to an end. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like it's part of a broader strategy. It's not grow for the sake of growing because there's no exit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no value that exit. Right. 
and also just another point, like people are very, once you get into that, once you get on a hamster wheel about of, of arbitrage, if your landlord offers you units, you, you feel compelled to take it because one, you don't want competitors coming in to, you know, you don't want your landlord to feel like, oh, well, maybe they're not doing that so hot. So you're always on that capital tread wheel where you don't have any money in your bank account because like it's $10,000 every two bedroom that you're, you know, and 10 units is hundred grand, hundred units is a million dollars of cash cash that mm -hmm. goes out the door. So just, you know, you know, so we look at these things and, and we just, we want to be very, we, again, we want to be very purposeful in how we think about this business um, and not be sucked into, you know, growth for the sake of growth, right? We, we, we care about building, we want, we want to acquire assets that generate cash flow for us. Yeah. Like that is like cash flow that we take home, not just like a phantom number on, on, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, on QuickBooks, but I'll, I'll turn it on Liz. Yeah. Not just like a short, I want to ask something just as a STR owner, business owner, I think it's important to integrate all three, understand all three strategy, co-hosting, arbitrage, and also buy and self-manage. Really understand the three and be versatile and flexible with them because there are different time at the market cycle or different time of your life. One strategy will fit better than the other. And if you can really understand how to combine them efficiently, it really is a really powerful way to get to long-term wealth at a much shorter timeline. You know, you get yep. cash flow through co-hosting yeah. and arbitrage much quicker and take that and to build long-term wealth through buying. We, we've co-hosted too. We have friends yeah. in New York that have multi-million dollar penthouses that, mm -hmm. that wanted us to rent out for them. We've done that a little bit too. So, but I mean, again, just like we've done everything mm -hmm. and, you know, I think to, to just put a, a finer point on Liz's, on Liz's, uh, Liz's point is if you, this is about, this is the long-term game, right? This yeah. isn't just about like, hey, I want to get rich. I want to make a million dollars like in two years and then that's it. Like, this is like, we want to build something that we can pass on to our kids, right? We want to, we, this business supports our family. Like we, we tired our parents on this business. Like that is the mindset that we have. And that's the, that's why we are, we, we want to share this message out there because we see in the market, there's a lot of different messaging out there, but not people that are talking, that are looking more long-term. So we think that this is something that people should know because we think it's really important for them, especially as we roll into 2023, where there's a lot more economic uncertainty. Yeah. 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 I want to, I was just going to say uh, to kind of put a bow on all this and kind of start to wrap things up and then I'll let E ask his question is like <clears throat> for you guys now kind of tying into what you're talking about, what is, what's kind of the next thing for you? Like what, what's, what's your vision for the next 12, 24 months for, for trust B and B and where you guys are looking right now? So we're going, we have a plan on how, how many units we want to grow on the arbitrage side and we are going to buy. So if we grow to say 20 more units on the arbitrage side, uh, we will buy X amount of property to protect that cash flow from taxation. So that is next one plan. Very, but very simple. I guess what I'm getting at, are you expanding yeah. to different markets now? Or are you kind of just keeping those two main hubs you think for you guys? We're going to keep it. We're likely to keep the two main hubs. We, we really believe that it is very difficult to operate in multiple markets at a very high level. It takes a lot of time to learn a market, to build real infrastructure, to have real people there that work for you, with you, care about your properties, right? And to do that in a different market and spin something up, it takes real time to do that. So why not focus on, so be purposeful, find a great market that you can really grow in, right? So we're going to leverage all that work that we've done in the last three years in Philadelphia and Tennessee and grow there because we know the market's the best there. 
we know what what we know we have, we built a mousetrap that we know works so let's find area let's find areas within that to grow instead of building a new mousetrap in a new location that we don't know anything we don't really know anything about and then you know have all that uncertainty um that just doesn't make much sense for us so we oh really like I've, I've loved you guys like this is such a great advice because i think again what you said right there's a lot of misinformation in the marketplace and there's a lot of people that go out there and it's like it's so easy. Look at me. I just order stuff on Amazon and send it over to this property and then find somebody on Tamtak and hire them to do the thing. And they don't talk about the fact that like half of these people are not good. Half of the people <laughs> don't put the furniture together. Half of the clears that you find are not great. And again, it's just like, is it simple? Yes. It can be done. Yes. Should you do it? Maybe. Are you like married, have kids? Should you be doing that considering everything that you have already on your plate? No. Versus just trust your process, trust the systems you have, trust your team and stay super focused, which is something that I've always done. Stay super focused on your one market and understand that you can become a king of a small swamp. And you're going to be a lot richer than the guy that just keeps hopping between little rain puddles everywhere, thinking he's going to get to the big lake and never goes anywhere. And he's just exhausted and wet everywhere he goes. And he's just like jumping between things. And you're just like, just keep focused. Like just stay yeah, focused. Yeah, it's that shiny object syndrome. Uh, like we, we definitely suffer from that too. But just like, you know, everything sounds it. really cool. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. We're all, we're all monkeys, you know, at the end of the day. So we all like <laughs> see something. We're like, ooh, nice. Let yeah, me go. Sure. Touch, you know what I mean? Until you learn this, like some stuff just looks shiny, but it, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't taste good, doesn't feel good, doesn't do anything but shine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think like really, really niche down and really build the net local knowledge and then your network locally too. The more network you have, the longer you're in the market, the network expands oh, yeah. and that served us so well over the last couple of years. And I think people, people undervalue that. They don't realize, yeah, every market sounds great, but what's the best is where you know the best, where you yep. have the most connection of people and network. It's not the, it's not that great. It's not the A plus screen on AirDNA. It's what you you know that that's like the average. You know that doesn't really mean a lot, whole heck of a lot, candidly. It's what you can deliver and execute. execute. That is where that market great. It, that is the quality of the market. It's the quality of your uh, business within that. So do the work up front. Right, find the right market so that you're not hopping around. To your point, like hopping around different little bats. Like find a great place to to grow and like just focus on that i literally way, off the last way podcast. easier i kicked off the last podcast and i literally said like your network is like your cheat code so like if you focus on building a strong network it's literally the cheat code because it's like oh i don't have to go figure it out i'm like oh i've already got somebody over here that can oh this cleaner didn't work out oh well i'm just gonna go back to my contract and be like hey you got anybody else that you think is gonna be a good cleaner yeah like yeah. this person's been crushing it over here like okay frank like it's a cheat code so i love that sure. i love that so before we get into the last question, I want to say this was an awesome combo. Totally vibing with you guys. Love the yeah, combo. Love, love, so love, thank love. you guys for coming on. And uh, thank you for sharing, you know, some of your strategies and just like the pros and cons, right? And just the, the things for people to think through as they're either starting or building this business. And, uh, you know, it, it echoes a lot of things that E and I have talked about over the years around, like, just put a plan together and work the plan, right? As he always says, it's like, you got to think through it a little bit more. Think with the end in mind. So really appreciated that. Um, so before we get into the last question, where can folks learn more about you and trust B&B and all the good stuff that you guys got going on? Uh, we're on Instagram. You can find us at Michael Chang, B&B, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-C-H-A-N-G, B&B on Instagram. That's where we post 
our thoughts and that's how you can reach us through uh through dm so find us there and uh, we look forward to, to talking with you yeah i just awesome. follow you guys awesome love it and the last question we ask all of our guests is what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals number one secret to success for short-term rental 100 percent. ever lived in your life yeah <laughs> this is a tough one yeah it's like i think it's I think it's well, easy we, for me. What we touched on <laughs> earlier is really have the end goal in mind and then come up with a plan and execute against it. And rather than, I think a lot of people are growing for the sake of growing or just like, I just want to get started. But they don't really look at, they don't re really know where they're going for the, for the end, right? So I think be purposeful, be mindful with intention on your goal is the best thing you can do when you grow your STR portfolio. At least mm -hmm. for me. And it's, and, it's, and it's the easiest way because you have a North Star mm -hmm. that you're guiding yourself to. So all your decisions can, you know, you have a grounding in all your decisions that you're not just making mm -hmm. decisions based on a whim, right? Like there's a goal that you're driving towards. And that for us has been a huge driver to our success. And having a partner, having, you know, a business partner, whether it's your spouse or someone else, someone that you trust, like, and that you believe in and that you can work with effectively, like being able to work together effectively obviously it's really helped um, accelerate our progress. So uh, I'm very, yeah, Liz is my secret weapon to <laughs> SDRs, but she got me thank in, you. so. I love it, I love it. Well, again, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. Truly appreciate it, really enjoyed our convo and uh, looking forward to following you guys as you continue to grow and build your empire. Yeah, we'll see, we'll see, you, in you. We'll see you in Nashville in, uh, in March. Love oh, it, love it, there. awesome. Can't wait, can't wait. Awesome. Well, thank you guys again so much for all the listeners okay. out there. Thank you guys. Have an amazing week and we'll talk to you guys soon. Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.